we're live. Not really. But welcome. You guys are listening to the inaugural episode of Off the Cliff Notes. My name is James and uh, my co-host here, Josh. We're going we're gonna to do you guys some pretty big favors. Um, so I guess I'd like to start off by saying you're welcome. Because uh, these favors are going to be reading some god-fucking-awful books so you guys don't have to. And the amount of mental anguish we've gone through here just in 60 pages of pure, unadulterated hell. It'll illustrate that. See, books, illustrators, kind of see, see what, what we did there. Um, to, to drive this point home, look, I don't want to oversell it and kind of looking at this, we wanted to come out of the gate hot on this one. We wanted to really, really lay the lumber and just get our hands on a piece of shit. Um, While being top. What's that? being very topical at the same time it does dovetail nicely with today's day and age um yeah guys this was a really bad one so i guess um not to mince words we can kind of get into it the, the this podcast we're going to be going over these dumpster fires and um giving you little synopsises kind of what we thought of the book we're going to try to be objective about it um some are going to be harder than others this is unfortunately going to be one of those where it's going to be pretty fucking hard to be objective um we're going to be looking at things like overall you know grammatically speaking how was the book you know what was the what was the uh, underpinning story what were they really trying to say here um and dig into these books really as, as good as we can so i guess without further ado i'd like to introduce this steaming pile of dog shit book that we're gonna review for you guys and uh the book today is called true allegiance a blockbuster debut thriller ripped straight from the headlines and the author of this book is none other than Benjamin Shapiro. Also known as the editor-in-chief of The Daily Wire, also member of Breitbart News. Is he Breitbart? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Also the author of the New York Times bestseller, which is generous, of Bullies, How the Left's Culture of Fear and Intimidation Silences America. This book is a number one book bestseller. Um, now... I feel we should qualify this because, you know, you'll see that on – it's funny. Every book you'll ever see on any bookshelf is a New York Times bestseller. And it says so blasted right on there. Well, I, I did learn as we were uh, kind of digging into research for this show is what it takes to make a book a New York Times bestseller. Turns out it's not much. I could shit out a manuscript and buy 5,000 copies based on a slow day. I'd be a New York Times bestseller. I was trying to figure out how it got to that when it is the – Number 447,647th paid book in the Kindle store. Well, it's, it's quite simple, Josh. He shot out a shitty manuscript and he took $5,000 and he bought copies of it. That's really all there was to it. Best I can figure because, uh, you know, old Benny, Benny Shapps, uh, autistic Adam Smith, as it were, sure did put together a masterpiece right here. Now, guys, remember, this is a fiction book. So... I guess to kind of get into the nuts and bolts of it, um, man, it's uh, it, it's something. The book stars, I guess the hero of the book, Brad Thor. And that's where my praise for Ben Shapiro and his uh, authoring styles will end because that's a pretty badass name. But kind of looking at the first chunk of this, uh, I don't know how he did it, but Josh managed to make it through the, uh, the preface of this book. I, I couldn't get through the preface. I jumped right into the action. Um, so you want to kind of lay it out there for us, Josh, tell us, uh, tell us what old Benny had to say. Sure. So the, the cliff notes of the prologue 
back to the title of this podcast. I see what you did. Is basically four pages describing a bridge collapsing um, that a, that we're seeing through the eyes of Jennifer and her daughter Julia. Um, was that there we one bridge or two? Were they twin? What's one bridge or two bridge? Just one bridge. Were, were they twin bridges? No twin bridges, huh? No twin bridges. No, unfortunately. Um, so Jennifer and her daughter, um, who we don't hear about at all in the four chapters we read, um, again, which is why um, you have no idea what I'm talking about right now, um, as well as her husband, Bill, that she speed dialed and kind of left a message at on before um, falling into the abyss of the uh, bridge collapsing, which she sat and watched for it feels like an eternity at least for reading those four pages but um maybe a few minutes um had some great great lines in it um the first one is while he, she was waiting in line waiting for to go across the bridge um direct from the book a quote uh open quote the honking and crashing combined with the burgeoning low roar made jennifer's headache pound the driving rhythm of her blood surging through her temples End quote. Don't know what that means. It's really painting a, painting a visceral picture there. Mm-hmm. Um, another great sentence just from that. Again, this is four pages of a masterpiece. Uh, quote, she opened her mouth to scream and realized that she was already screaming so hard, no sound was emerging. Hmm. So let, let, a little bit to unpack there. She opened her mouth to scream, but then she realized she was already screaming. So her mouth was closed when she... Hmm! Like was the scream like that, and then you? No. Oh, I'm already screaming. No, mouth open. I assume wide open, just no sound. The scream was so intense, the sound went yeah. back into her diaphragm. So kind of like this part where Jennifer's eyes opened in horror. The bridge before Jennifer tilted sideways. The 604 foot tower that was a bridge before her began to lean almost gracefully to her right. Jennifer screamed but it was drowned out in ear-splitting, cracking noises. Hundreds of thousands of tons of steel, twisting and bending and grating on each other. The sound of a million airplanes, all crashing at once. So she's able to make some sound there on that scream, but not the prior scream. What's the point, Jennifer? You know, Shapiro just painted such a picture of it being so loud that eh, there's no point. Yeah. Not the wherewithal. Uh, See, the, the last one that I just happened to pull out of those four pages, which I thought kind of sucked as a sentence was um, quote, an awful crematory smell burned her nose as the cars exploded beneath her one by one muffled by the tons of cement and steel sounding for all the world like popcorn. <laughs> Good God. So, so one, has she been to a lot of crematoriums to know the smell of burning human bodies? I mean, it sounds, it's gotta be a distinct smell. I, I've, I've never had the misfortune of I can't imagine it's it's like you know no we burned the nog chompa last time let's burn the let's burn the crematorium this time like I can't imagine this is a well known smell yeah unless it smells like patchouli or something so let's figure this okay so he's clearly referencing nine eleven here in just a shitty hacky version of nine eleven some sort of terrorist action yes it took four pages to describe someone being on a bridge watching everyone in front of them fall down, including some guy that got like a steel cable whipped around and sliced him in half through his car. Nonetheless, probably a cheap Japanese car. Hey, eh, Ben, probably. Uh, but yeah, nothing. That's all. Just 
setting the mood for something that is happening in the future that we will, I think, eventually get back to at some point in the in the book. But in the sixty pages we read, I no references to this really at all. So I mean, the prologue is the future of the past of the book we're starting out with. It's like that fucking Tom Hanks, Halle Berry movie where they jump like 19 different timelines and you have no idea what the fuck is going on at any point. Cloud Atlas. Is that the one? Wait a I, I don't know. Time cop. What the fuck? You leave Van Damme alone. All right. Hey, I love blood sport. You kickboxer blood sport. That man's a fucking, I would say national treasure, but I don't know if they have national treasures. So what else? Double impact. Hard target. Yeah. Hey, the aforementioned uh, action flicks are better than this pile of shit. Um, Again, kind of sticking with, I, I do. I don't know if we qualified this, but we're going to be reading this together, guys. So we're only 60 pages in. Um, so if you hear us reference that, that's because uh, the part two of this uh, special Ben Shapiro episode, we'll be going deeper into this. But as it stands right now, we're not even into the book. This is all still the uh, first four pages. Um, but it's pretty clear what, what Ben's doing here. This is a terrorist attack in New York. Even referencing, okay, during this imaginary terrorist attack, he references, quote, the sound of a million airplanes all crashing at once. So we know what he's doing. And I I feel like we didn't mention this, but the cover of this book is just fantastic. Just fantastic. Basically the cover for like a American sniper. Think every Call of Duty game ever. It's it's effectively that. It's a silhouette of an American flag with one lone soldier in full combat gear looking out over a war-torn landscape. It's pretty majestic. Well, specifically in desert ammo, so you, there might be some, you know, foreshadowing there. I'm pretty sure at this point what Ben has, has told us is that Muslims are bad. We need Brett Thorne. Effectively, Hot what Thorne. I get from it. Um, looking into this, I mean, so after that pretty uh, pretty dramatic setup, we, we jump right into part one before. And it starts off with Brigadier General Brett Hawthorne in Kabul, Afghanistan. So this is a trope where, you know, the you're writing a book and you just you jump right into the action. So the first few pages of the book have gripped you before you even know what's happening. And literally the first the first sentence, Brigadier General Brett Hawthorne looked at his M9 magazine and cursed to himself empty. So that's it. We're, we're jumping right in. What did you think of the the first few well, the one that captured my attention was, because uh, I'm going to quote something else from the book, was he was sat up against a mud brick hovel in the city's poor part of town. Even even in Kabul, there was a large income gap and <laughs> felt the sweat trickle down cold between his shoulders blades. Are there not parts of Kabul that aren't hovels? I mean, is Kabul a very high-end city? Is it Abu Dhabi? And I've just missed it. You know, I, I know nothing of, of really Kabul, Afghanistan, but I, I, I'm pretty sure I know more than Ben Shapiro does at, at, at this point with this 60 pages that I've read. Um, I mean, maybe if he gave us some timelines, if it was like pre-American invasion, pre-Russian invasion, and Brett Hawthorne is not a brigadier general staring at his M9, he's just some dude. Maybe it was nice back then. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, but maybe there wasn't going equality, which is the only time that – I think it's the only time that uh, Ben Shapiro's actually uh, acknowledged – the income inequality. I think that's it. <laughs> one, one time. Well, I'm sure somewhere in the book we'll find that he's blamed the people of Afghanistan for their financial issues. Isn't people trying to harvest opium or anything like that from 
They just need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Oh shit, Ben! They don't wear boots. They wear sandals. Damn it! Sandals. They got straps. They do. They pull themselves up by their sandal straps. You know, again, just overall how he writes this thing. It's it's I don't know, kind of shitty. It is shitty because first we get we get Brett Hawthorne, you know, sitting up against his hobble with his empty gun, and then we have the trope of let's pause. Let's go back to the past and let's let's talk about Brett and, and how he grew up. Well, first off, what does Brett even look like? That that's the thing you got to understand. I mean, well, we find out as we learn how Brett was a. Uh, well, here you go back. In paragraph two, Hawthorne was a bear of a man, six three in his bare foot and two hundred and fifteen pounds in his underwear, with a graying blonde crew cut and a face carved of granite. There you any. So he's ready to go and face Hulk Hogan. Yeah, and WWF Championship. Like, what's Ben Shapiro like? Five two, five three. Yeah, because the more I read on in this, like I said, I'm fairly fucking confident. Uh, old Brett Hawthorne is is what Ben Shapiro pictures himself as, especially going through the six three part. So I'm looking at a picture of of him standing next to Candace Owens. They're the same height, and I I, I don't know how tall she is, but I don't think she's you know. A super big person, so I'm pretty sure he's effectively a hobbit and wants to be a lot taller. Because there's, we're gonna find out there's other times that that he's banging on about height in this. Um, yeah, I mean, compare if, if you believe celebwikigossip.com, credible source. Um, well, it depends. One of them says five nine. Something else says five four and around 134 pounds. But very well, we shall cut the answers in half. He's five six. We'll go with that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So now that the book is kind of set up, we know we we know who this guy is. We know what he's doing. He's there to kick ass and chew some bubble gum, and he's fresh out of bubble gum and M nine magazines. Actually, he's got magazines he's out of M nine bullets. Um, a one man army. He's he's built for war. But how did he get built for war is a question. And then the book kind of jumps into his, like bounces back to his childhood. Is here we go. Yeah. So. <laughs> Another excerpt to kind of set the stage for old Brett here. When his dad lost his job, the family moved from the more expensive north side to the south side of Chicago. Poorer, industrial, and heavily black. He'd been a shy kid, gentle, quiet, built like a reed. But he learned one skill pretty quickly at Thomas Edison High, how to talk his way out of a bad situation. Cool. Cool. Maybe that's why Ben Shapiro speaks a thousand words a minute. It could be, yeah. I mean... I am beginning to think that Brett might just be a renaissance man. Jack of all kind of moving into this. Where is, uh, as it talks about him kind of in high school, um, he starts banging on about, um, about yard. He, I just don't even want to get into this part. Oh, but it's such a great quote. I mean, oh, so quote standing above him, glaring at him was a behemoth, a black kid named yard. Nobody knew his real name. Everybody just called him Yard because he played on the school football team, stood six foot five, clocked in a solid 280 pounds, and looked like he was headed straight for a lifetime of prison workouts. <laughs> way to go, Ben, because aren't they all, huh? Aren't they all built that way, Ben? Isn't that, isn't that what you're trying to say here? So, of course, old Brett and uh, Yard Dog get into, get into it. Ben exercises what I can only imagine is a very uh, bucket list thing for him to do. He drops a few N bombs in there. Um, as he says, uh, Brett and Yard get into it. Uh, what? 
Oh, nope, wrong inflection. What? Said Brett. I said, Yard growled. Did you just call me an N-word? Draw your own conclusions. Ben, he didn't type N-word. Because I just heard you call me N-word. The entire room turned to watch the impending carnage. Yard's hand came down on Brett's shoulder, as heavy as doom. Brett could feel his bowels begin to give way when a smallish hand emerged. This is how he writes. Like, what the fuck are you even saying here? Yard's hand came down on Brett's shoulder, heavy as doom. Brett could feel his bowels begin to give way when a smallish hand emerged on Yard's shoulder, a black hand. Yard swiveled ponderously to face down a person connected with that hand. What are you babbling about here, Shapiro? Where are we going here? A small person, slim, wearing glasses, and a wide smile across his face. Yard man, he said. He didn't just call you N-word. What you talking about, Derek? Rumbled Yard. It was me, man. I called you N-word. Yard looked puzzled. No, he said slowly. It was the white boy. I mean, come on. South side of Chicago, built for a lifetime of prison workouts. Like, what are you doing, man? But then then Brett is saved by the uh, the magical black man. Mm. A minstrel, really, that that sung him and Brett to uh, avoiding a whooping. Mm. But he did. Derek leaned forward, reached out, and lightly tapped Yard's hand, and then started singing at the top of his lungs that Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder's song, Ebony and Ivory. What the fuck? That is a paragraph and a half later that he's into that. Well, you know, it's the thugs, you know. And then the uh, educated, non-threatening, magical black man, Will Smith, in that one movie with Kevin James. Hitch. Uh, Is it Hitch? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty fantastic. Pretty fantastic. Old Kevin James just can't get it right. Old smooth-talking Will Smith shows up, really schools him. Just like Brett's not getting it right and is about to get his ass whooped. He's about to get beat down. You know, kind of moving through here, what's it go about? Jet or Brett. He, He finally hits his growth spurt. And uh, what does he grow up? Basically, Paul Bunyan's himself, like over the course five of feet height in like a week. Yeah, he he's what does he go to? Six five and like two fifteen <laughs> within like a summer. Yeah, he's built like a reed, and he's like four feet tall. And then over the course, I guess his like dad's body, like he's all of a sudden just yeah ripped from just uh you know just being just 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 existing and chewing on HGH. So, I don't know. How does it wrap up him ending his time in Thomas Edison High? Did Ben even have a logical breakpoint for that, or did he just kind of... No. Then all of a sudden, he was at uh, the Citadel. Yep. Just straight straight to military school. The Citadel, for, for those that don't know, military college, what? Army, is it? Uh, no, it's a private military school. Private military school. So, and, it's water, Like one of those? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, obviously... Brett doesn't play by the rules and had to do a lot of, you know, Hindu squats and push-ups and running in the rain because he chaffed at authority before realizing that, you know, this authority is is good for him and all that trope of, you know, being a guy with his own mind. Yeah, I mean, th- th- this whole thing reads like a shitty TNT series, like a miniseries. Like, you, you could tell, like, he, he wanted this to be a movie, right? Like, this is a movie that... that Ben Shapiro's always wanted to see. And, you know, if, if he couldn't get Clint Eastwood to finance it, fuck it, he was going to do it himself. Yep. So basically go through the Citadel, and then um, I want to say, I think it was still the Citadel when he met 
uh, his wife, um, you know, being described after I think bitching him out for hanging around a store that heard the voice and quote, the voice was musical. For some reason, the image of a woodwind came to mind, a Southern woodwind since her accent sang of long summers and lemonade. Is that fucking kid rock song? Like, first off, what's a Southern woodwind? What uh, accent sounds like long summers and lemonade? None. Hot and sweet. I don't know whether. I don't know. Was she wearing like a floral dress with like, 12 knots of wind blowing at all times on it. Like, what are you going for here? Everything in here is so just hack. I, I don't know. I, I have no idea what he's trying really to describe in here. I mean, like a, a lilty voice, I assume a, a happy voice would be, you know, why not just say her voice was, you know, lilty and happy or something, but musical. I don't really quite understand how that, really happens she's singing all the time and then he jumps around to like you know so that that's that's brett's wife ellen and then you know talks about his career and how he's kind of you know moving up and he ends up fighting um fighting saddam in in the 90s you know and uh with that when that whole war kicked off um so they get married of course and um he's overseas he's bouncing back they're trying to have kids turns out oh no they can't have kids Right. Because, uh, well, you know, sometimes cards don't pan out in your favor. Um, yeah, it says here three weeks later in the middle of the night, Ellen woke him screaming. Her voice cracked as it reached its apex, shrieks over and over in the night. Blood on the sheets, her hands clawing at her face. He picked her up in his powerful arms, held her tight, so small against him. He rushed her to the car, foot over foot over footboard, one hand gripping hers. Her hand gripping his, a lot of gripping going on. Um, afterward, the doc, or, oh no, one more gripping. Uh, tight, she thought, uh, so tight, he thought she might break his fingers. His powerful man fingers. Um, I added that part. Afterward, the doctor told them, kids are off the table. So, I don't know. It seems weird how he would take something like that. You just painted a very uh, elaborate tapestry. And then just the last sentence. Afterward, the doctors told them children were out of the question. Well, you see... He wants to give the trope for, for Brett of having some sort of weakness, but we're not really necessarily told that is he shooting blanks? Obviously not, because this is obviously a, a miscarriage. So, yeah, but no. well, there's, there's a flaw, but it's not Brett's fault. Brett is still, virile. you know, we're getting ready to challenge for the WWF championship. He's a virile guy. I mean, Jesus Christ. Oh, a chick looked at him once and got pregnant. What, 6'3", 215, chiseled. Out of granite, face of granite, old granite face. Looks like a Moai from Easter Island. Um, so, so then after that, he ends. He's he goes back, right? Then to uh, Afghanistan. No, he goes to Kosovo. Oh, it's Kosovo first. That's right. That's right. Sorry about the dead baby. I got to bounce. Duty calls. He bounces. Goes to Kosovo. Um, I must have spaced on Kosovo. That was such a small part. Yeah. Well, and then all of a sudden it's nine eleven. Bam. Right. So. He says here, uh, whether it was unwillingness to leave the life, principled, practically, or a cowardly need for something to cling to, or a mix of all three, Brett eventually came to suspect he stayed in and rose. By Kosovo, he was a captain. By 9-11, he was a major. A major, by simple coincidence, that knew Pashto. Oh, wasn't that handy? Well, 9-11 attacks happened, and you just happened to know Pashto. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember. Pretty crazy. Jack of all trades. That's true. So what, he's kind of learning Pashto in your spare time. Like, that, that, that serves no fucking purpose. Unless he's omnipotent, knew Muslims were bad, therefore knew we were going to get attacked by him at some point, just decided to start learning every dialect within that region. You got to remember, he is a Renaissance man. I mean, I'll say that because, again, to learn that, that serves literally, like, I guarantee you Brett felt like an asshole on 910. Why the fuck am I learning Pashto? What, why, what am I going to do with this? Oh, fuck it. I'll go to bed. Wakes up. They said I was crazy. Who's laughing now? We basically said, you know, great. You'll be able to talk to him about the opium that we're raising. But I mean, here we are. 9-11 happens. Then he gets sent to Afghanistan. Well, right. Because the Afghan president, in an attempt to appease his inflamed population, demanded the U.S. troops change their rules of engagement to avoid civilian casualties in the process, endangering more American soldiers. And that's why he was kind of sent there and, 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 and put in charge as the youngest colonel, right? He's only a colonel at that point. Major? Colonel major. Major asshole. I don't know. But he got sent there because he knows the Pashto and can communicate with the Afghan president because the Afghan president was like, this ambassador can go suck an egg. And thus, our Renaissance man, our infallible hero, the one who has deadly aim, as we'll soon see. Well, you know, and I mean, it talks about it too. Like, in all fairness, I guess I should say that, yeah, no, uh, he, he knew the Muslims were bad, and that's why he learned Pashto because it, it was the, uh, he, he, here's what it says. A major who, by simple coincidence, knew Pashto. He thought it prudent when, after the bombings of the U.S. Em- embassies in Kenya and Tanzania in '98, he first heard of some piece of shit named Osama bin Laden holed up somewhere in Afghanistan. That little fact made him one of the first men on the ground in Afghanistan. He knew little of the country's culture, but his knowledge of the language made him a valuable commodity. They assigned him to a unit working with direct contact with the head of the Northern Alliance. So I have yeah. a question for you. The tribesmen. We've both been to high school, right? Some of us. Half of us. Yeah. At least half. We've perhaps spent some time. But usually when you learn a language, part of that is learning about the culture. No, 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 no. That's totally wrong. That's that's not the process at all. You just all right. you learn the language. I thought you'd learn, you know, context, you know, no. and everything else. No. Just straight up. Uh-huh. No, that's not how Brett Hawthorne does it. You strap in and feel the G's. Reference, I don't know. I'm I'm thinking that Ben Shapiro, I'd say he'd want Van Damme for it, but does Van Damme really have the right look for this? I think he's thinking Dolph Lundgren. Blonde, blue-eyed, chiseled. chiseled. But Dolph Lundgren, like Rocky Ford Dolph Lundgren, not old, like, heroin addict, expendables Dolph Lundgren? No, I think Rocky Four. Rocky Four. Break you, Dolph. Yeah. As long as we're looking at Ivan Drago, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that comparison. That's how I'm going to, but maybe a little bit aged? seasoning well you know you have when he first you know bulked up and then you know <sighs> over time read jesus god in heaven i i we're, we're not even to page 30 you gotta move forward a little bit uh results predictable oh we got taliban involved now everything's gone to shit all right josh hit him with the camel i i can't or donkey. oh the donkey yeah. yeah so so obviously you know being in afghanistan the trope is well there's a lot of suicide bombings because Afghanistan because um, yeah jihad uh, so some point truck blows up um, and then he's got a cameraman around him because they were just kind of there you know trying to do kind of like a 
look how badly we're doing in Afghanistan. I think peace, if I recall correctly, all bored as, as hell, right? And of course, when you're bored, shit's about to go down um, if, you're, if you're looking for tropes. So uh, as mentioned, truck blows up, but then he sees a, a kid with a donkey, and that donkey just happens to be, uh, I believe, loaded with some explosives. Um, and Brett, being uh, the everyman, while also a renaissance man, notices that uh, that that donkey happens to have a cell phone attached to him, and that cell phone is what the you know the, those Muslims are going to use to uh, jihad uh, the soldiers. So Brett uh, quote leveled his weapon. The cameraman zoomed in on his face, sweat pouring down his forehead. His thumb fingered the grip, caressed it. This is not part of the quote, but um, Brett likes to finger his weapons quite a bit. Uh, Come on, baby, Brett said to himself. The donkey was now waddling toward him, the cell phone bouncing in his cloth pack. The child's eyes went wide. He fired. The bullet smashed into the cell phone at an angle, shattering it completely. Nothing happened because Brett was able to take his government-issued, what, the 9mm at this time, or was it still May of 45? You're on mute. No, it's an M9. Yeah, and happened to, you know, as a moving target was moving to him. Waddling. Waddling target. Bullseye a cell phone and hit it at the angle that needed. Is this dog, or this donkey, sorry, not dog, walking straight onto him? Is it waddling back and forth do you know how hard it would be to shoot a cell phone and not apparently the donkey ran off after that so it managed the cell phone managed to absorb a nine millimeter bullet and i assume i mean what it's gotta be 50 yards i mean to be that no more than 50 yards to be that accurate 50 yards is a long way to shoot a nine millimeter. That's a really I'm, fucking long way. I'm, I'm trying to think as a mere mortal, Brett Hawthorne probably pin it from a hundred, but I can only imagine this was a Nokia 5,900. Whenever I hear a terrorist bomb, that's the phone I'm thinking of where you can play snake on it. And that's about that. And you can drop it repeatedly and nothing happens. But I, I mean, that's the only way that I could have absorbed this, this sniper shot from a handgun and not killed the fucking donkey. Well, I mean, it reminds me of uh, Howard Wasden wrote a book, Memoirs of a or SEAL Team 6 Sniper. And uh, he's in Mogadishu. And this is a true story from, from his book. He's in Mogadishu, and the terrorists are using donkeys to transport mortar rounds. And he sees this old guy walking a donkey, and he draws a beat on the old guy. He's about to shoot the old guy in the, in the head. But wait a minute. They got a bunch of old guys, not a lot of donkeys. Shoots the fucking donkey. Donkey dies, obviously doesn't have the aim of Brett Hawthorne misses. Us. <laughs> um, and that was that. I'm pretty sure that uh, Shapiro took that from, from Howard Wasson's book. It's a pretty well-known military book. The, one of the first, like I'm an ex Navy SEAL team six. I am going to write a book books. Well, but you know, he sucks compared to Brett Hawthorne. He really does. Howard Wasson. If you ever listen to this, I want you to know that you fucking suck compared to Brett Hawthorne. I'm sorry. That's that. Uh, is that the end of the chapter? Is there more? I kind of started. There's a lot of God bless America and kind of zoning out based off of, uh, you know, his, his ability to shoot uh, moving targets and things on a moving target without killing them. So, you know, he's going to be the type of guy that's going to shoot the, the home invader in the leg, make a citizen's arrest, you know, no problem. 
I mean, in that chapter, he starts getting into a little bit of the politics of, uh, like, here, here's a here's a good little, little, coming from the Soviet Union or from Nazi Germany, many were right. Compared to those places, America was a land of opportunity. But that did not mean American opportunity was open to all. African Americans were denied work based on color of their skin. Women were prevented from entering the workplace because of sexism. Minorities of all stripes were subject to discrimination at the hands of an unfeeling, uncaring majority. This is all being used to describe the president now, President Prescott, and he's giving this speech. And while he's doing it, his uh, lower lip is trembling. His pain at such an evil was palpable. We still live in the vestiges of that system, a system that allows us to exploit their privileged status and to bully others. Okay, so clearly this is Obama, right? So, so but but we skipped ahead a little bit, right? That's uh, that's that's post oh, yeah. Prescott trying to recruit Brett into being kind of his golden boy general, right? Based off of I digress. President Prescott, I was on the uh, the wrong tab there. No, President Prescott is is who we jumped to there. Um, oh, last sentence of the first chapter, he gripped the empty pistol tighter fingering it the whole way. Yeah. And that's, that's because, so before we go to the next chapter, just FYI press before going to Prescott, Prescott kind of try to recruit him and be like a golden boy, right? Help him win this, uh, the election. He's not the president quite yet. He is a unknown Senator, I think from, from Chicago, mm, black and well-spoken, uh, well-spoken, you know, kind of came out of nowhere and all of a sudden was a nominee. We're clearly and his, oppo- and his opponent was an aging war veteran oh. who picked like a running mate that wasn't probably the best choice. Um, they didn't mention whether what state that particular running mate came from. Um, I don't know. Let's just go alphabetical. What one of the A states, maybe? Maybe. Okay. Um, probably Not- Alabama. But yeah, Alabama, it's got to be that. Yeah, and then you know the cliff notes were and some shit happens and then he gets sent back to um, Afghanistan because he, he kind of went cowboyish and, and told it like it is because he is a Renaissance man. He's honest. He's shooting shit off donkeys. He's from the hip. The he's mind. talking way out of stuff. You know, he's learning languages without learning the culture. Uh, and basically he's at the embassy and then, Taliban decide to ambush the whole entire place and everyone is getting killed. He picks up one of, so one of his troops gets like shot in the fucking head and he picks him up, you know, and after this is after he mentioned, you know, like blood and brains of splatter where he picks him up and takes him up to where the helicopter was. Why did he pick up a dead body? He goes to the room. You don't hear about the body anymore. You know, you don't like toss it off the roof, you know, as a weapon or take it with him wherever he's going. But basically everyone gets killed except for him. And then he's fingering his gun. <laughs> in the hobble, uh, whereas where the beginning of the book kind of started. So now we've kind of went in a circle from the, the future with a bridge to the semi future of the present of Brett back to his beginnings. Now we're back to the, present so we've done future present past present um and that's the basically the end of chapter one of 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 brett as part of part one the before but i think i think what we want to do real quick is 
is a, a quick segment um, that we like to call um, Praise B. Um, this is the, the praise that really kind of made this book into a bestseller. Um, do you want to give like one of the, the praises that we saw for, for this book? You know, unfortunately, there, there were some. Um, a lot of people seem to kind of pick up on this shit show from the top. Um, you do got to kind of dig into it, which is weird for a bestseller. But uh, on Goodreads, the one that I liked was uh, I found this book refreshing. It tied many political topics into one with this book. Interesting stories for each character's part tied together well. I enjoyed the focus on each side and how each character felt about their decisions. I really enjoy Ben Shapiro, his views, his factual books, and now his fiction reads. I feel like he'd do great writing an alternative piece of history. Thanks for the read. Jesus Christ. First off, I've read a few of his books. I can't really get through many of them because they're all fiction, quite frankly, uh, especially when he gets to his talk on the free market and some of his other works. So some of the ones that I liked just kind of, you know, the rip from the headlines type is um, one of our favorite people. I'll do the quote first. Uh, Provocative, intense, and about five minutes from becoming reality. I'll give you a guess who might have done that one. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say Breitbart. Fox News. Close. Getting close. Ann Couture. All right. Another New York Times bestselling author. Mm. Um, dot, dot, dot. Riveting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me see. Another one. Uh, a gutsy and gut-wrenching vision of America coming apart at the seams. Dot, 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 dot. It's a scary story and just a little too real for comfort. Here's a good one. And that is from uh, Andrew Clavin, a New York Times best-selling author of true crime and don't say a word. Here's Barb. Barb's got a shitty kid because uh, my son got me this book for my birthday. I enjoyed it as much as one can enjoy a terrifying dystopian novel that takes a lot of inspiration from the real world. I'm guessing there will be more books as the story wasn't neatly wrapped up at the end. I look forward to them. Barb, you got regifted a book. Yeah. So I got one last one because I think this one kind of leads us into hopefully the end of this, this horror when we get there. Uh, quote, Ben gleefully serves up a combustible mix of real-life antidotes, dramatic license, comically precise details, and conservative worldview, and a job-dropping, I can't believe he wrote that climax. Jim Garotti, a senior political correspondent, National Review, and author of The Weed Agency. Which well, is a, a climax is involved in this book is when the uh, the reader is hearing about old Brett Hawthorne in his underwear standing in every bit of six foot three. Outside yeah. of that, it's pretty shitty. Yeah. So I'm kind of wondering what the climax is going to be because as as you mentioned, we haven't we haven't read past page sixty because it it hurt a it's lot. It's particularly fucking painful to read this. I've never had a migraine. The checks in the mail as I'm reading this. It's really not good. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the book, we'll, we'll kind of give our review of what, what Ben meant. But uh, from what we read in page 60, I'm really kind of curious of the, I can't believe he wrote that climax. I'm leaning towards they finally get the ethnic cleansing that Ben's looking for. And it's all white people left. <laughs> um, I'm going to put my bet down on that. 
takes from, from here. Um, and the listeners can read along and, and find out if we're, if I'm right on that. I don't know what you're thinking the climax might be, but, um, as long as there's just, like a witty retort as, you know, the last bullet of the M nine is fired into the terrorist leader's head, protecting the socialist president who we haven't really gotten into, but to set the stage for kind of, well, first he's got to finger the uh, trigger before he fires the bullet. Finger the clip too, or you flick the clip and finger the, I, I don't know how that works with an M nine, but, uh, Straight into chapter two, he starts going on about the president. Obviously, we know that it's an allegory for Obama. Um, but just, it's so editorialized. I mean, you can tell this guy just fucking hates. And by I mean this guy, the author, Ben Shapiro, hates Obama. Because he just really goes into some nasty stuff about uh, socialism. and jokes about, like... Uh, um, his platform for running for office is like jobs programs and welfare programs and healthcare and all that good stuff. Can I put in like a, a quick little description that Ben wrote? Please do. Okay. So quote, this is president Prescott who we're, we're talking about, AKA mm, Obama uh, quote. He was no babe in the woods. He was a high hardened ideologue, a product of the Chicago machine the hand-picked protege of the power brokers. But he hadn't quite contemplated the nature of the country he had, he'd be handed once elected. He campaigned on great blustering clouds of rhetoric, his boyish good looks, and a record of scurred by a complacent media. He came out of nowhere, they said, an inspirational figure unlike any candidate since JFK. Mm, a little on the nodes. That's a fantastic description of Obama. I'm sorry. That is exactly what he did. To Ben Shapiro's credit, he did a good job there. Came and, up. you know, he even got in uh, the Q's favorite talking point about the media, you know, being complacent around the lib presidents. Is Ben a Q? Is he a Q? Uh, I don't know if they allow Jews in QAnon. Well, they're, see, that's the best part about the current administration that we have is watching, watching the hard, staunch, right-wing QAnon momos wrap their head around what's happening in Israel under this administration. You know, like that, that's a juxtaposition right there that uh, has been fun for me to watch them try to wrestle with. I like how they can just defer to nine dimensional chess at any point in time. He's just playing nine dimensional chess. It's simple. It's not simple. It's nine dimensions. Mm. Yeah. 5d Jenga, whatever it is that they have to be playing right now. Well, and, and, and just for a note, just a note that this book was published November 1st, 2016 so two days before the election and after obama was going to be out of office anyways yeah bit on the nose um i mean again I'm, I'm editorializing the obama administration here myself but i am not a fan of that administration whatsoever because i fell for all the rhetoric and all the uh the promises two times we didn't get any of it not a goddamn bit so when he's kind of put up on the pedestal of the left of, oh my God, he was just the greatest thing ever. Really? He clearly didn't follow any of the stuff that he did because we got a lot more war, a lot more drilling, a lot more deregulation of Wall Street. But be that as it may, if I'm writing a fictional kind of archetype villain is what he really just turned this guy into is, is what I'm picking up from this. Um, yep. Basically a hand-picked protege that's had, had a, I think through the rest of the chapter, I don't know how much we need to go into this chapter. It's really just you know, a, a womanizer 
Um, I think making some references maybe to Clinton to Clinton. Yeah. Um, kind of merged into Obama. I don't know that Obama had any rumors about, you know, cheating around on, on Michelle. By all He's got, they look like they have a decent relationship. Yeah. Uh, Prescott, you know, is kind of eyeing the, the makeup lady with kind of the, uh, you know, let her stay type of thing, you know, before getting called in front of, I'm curious if there's going to be an impeachment process somewhere in this book. Cause <laughs> you know, it's coming. Yeah. He seems to be pretty, Definitely. pretty much a womanizer, you know, kind of everything that uh, the right wing would hate. And I don't have any, really any more pull quotes from this. Um, I don't know if you do, but I, I know really the, the rest of it was kind of going into kind of an, a new deal type scenario, which I'm not sure how it's going to play in. <laughs> Again, we've only read 60 pages about like a, a work for freedom type act where they're going to basically everyone gets a job and gets paid. And if you don't have a job, you still get paid and they get the money from China. So kind of setting some interesting stages there by having the, uh, the president's administration call China to buy some debt from the U S that's it. I mean, he's coming full on at FDR and this and jobs programs and this, that, and the other thing and, uh, running on a socialist platform of actually giving a shit. I think part of that, that might be some of the, the Bernie Sanders merging into Obama character. So he's a pervert like Clinton. He's a smooth talker out of left field. Nobody's ever heard of like Obama. And he's a socialist like Bernie, you know, and a little too ambitious, you know, and black. Oh, that's a good point. Good point. So now we know we can't trust this guy. We got to keep our eye on him. And that's what, uh, what Hawthorne learned when he was trying to, uh, to get wooed into him before he was running. I don't know, man, getting through the rest of this. I mean, that's kind of caught us up to where, where we've read to Jesus. Not, not good. I don't know if we're going to be able to do this. I mean, this is 253 pages. We're 60 deep and it's not looking any better. I just think it's going to be trope after trope, after trope, after trope, to be perfectly honest. But that's my expectations. Yeah. And I don't know. If, I mean, may our page counts a little bit different. Um, Hopefully mine's shorter. I, I don't know. Did you get to Soledad? Uh, no, that's where I stopped. Okay. We'll save that for, for the next one. I read through that one and uh, chapter four, leave on. So get ready. This is just probably the difference between <laughs> different readers. Um, but uh, it's only going to get worse. Um, I'll, I'll grab one pull quote here just to kind of get you excited, get that mouth watering listeners, you know, if you want to catch up, but um, please don't do yourself a favor from one of the chapters quote, black politicians have been the biggest advocates of putting crack dealers on different footing than powder cocaine dealers at the time. All right. So he's just hitting us with both barrels here. Both oh, yeah. Four barrels of that M9. And, you know, there's another one that I, that I kind of like to just, again, setting the stage for what's probably going to be the next few <laughs> chapters. That at least was the right idea, or would have been, if it weren't for the department's use of force policies, which made it nearly impossible to do proper police work. Morale in the department had never been lower, and for good reason. After the latest consent decree with President Prescott's Department of Justice, every cop on the force walked gen- gingerly. Hashtag Blue Lives Matter. Yeah, so we are we're going to be getting into it. I can tell you from that chapter, because I guess like I said my... My page count was a little bit different. There's a powder keg of Bruin, and I'm going to to let you guess on what's going to be setting it off. 
Well, I don't know. What we will ask, though, at this point is uh, any recommendations on shit books that, uh, that you had to suffer through that you think you could spare others, please send them our way. And uh, if you keep listening, we'll keep reading these things. So, so far, that's we're up to now about an hour um, discussing some reading that uh, we took time every day that we won't get back. Ever. I think to recap so far, there's been a, a terrorist attack on domestic soil. We don't know who's done it. We've met Brett Hawthorne, which will be obviously the hero, right? Uh, WDF champion, precog. Um, National man of mystery. Yeah. Crack shot. I'm, I'm waiting to hear that, you know, he once fought Chuck Norris, you know, at some point, beat him down, made him cry. So I think, I, and I think President Prescott's going to do something either nefarious, stupid. Somehow there's going to be some like government overreach and the people will rise up. And I'm going to guess, going to guess the attack is going to be a domestic terrorism, probably from some liberals. Turner Diaries, like right away. I mean, how, how, how's it going to go? But uh, reverse Oklahoma City. I think that's pretty spot on. But we'll find out, unfortunately. Well, tune in for the next episode where we will continue our deep dive into Ben Shapiro's True Allegiance. Um, For those that want to follow along, we will be reading up to part two. So starting uh, with Soledad, trying to get this done in in three episodes, God willing, you know, when we don't just have to take breaks to um, basically get our soul back. Yeah, I'll go jihad myself before I have to read this book. So we hope you enjoyed this introductory episode. As mentioned, if you have any ideas, please send it to us at josh at offthecliffnotes.com. We'd be happy to take a look at that book. Anything shitty that you've wasted your life reading? We know there's a bunch of them. One last thing I got to say on this is uh, I heard in my head as I'm reading this book, Ben Shapiro's voice narrating it to me, and it was truly fucking terrible. So take that with you. All right. Well, thanks, guys. And we will see you next week.